0: I have to say I've probably gained more big picture beyond a specific industry perspective on the developments of AI and the future of business in this recent stint of interviews with AI investors than maybe I have in like the last three or four months. We've had a string of fantastic interviews from Excel and Canvas and this interview is with Ann from Floodgate. Ann's one of the founding partners at Floodgate. They've been around since 2008. They've invested in Okta, Ayazdi, Twitter, Lyft, Okta and Ayazdi are two. Very, very well known, very, very successful, certainly high-valued AI companies. And lots and lots and lots of value and insight at a high level. I just re-listened to the episode before recording this introduction. If you're on the site of Tech Emergence, at least at the time of this recording, you can go to Insights, which is right on the menu, and Insights from Investors is basically all of our investor interviews. So if you like this one and or want to see what more people who invest in this space have to say. Very, very easy way to access this recent spring of interviews. We're about to do a big bundled poll of all of these folks we've recently interviewed and get a large piece up on Huffington Post within about a month of this particular audio going live. Very, very fascinating insights. In this particular episode where I'm there with Anne at a little San Fran office of Floodgates, if you're on the blog, you can see a picture inside their little offices up there where I got to kind of catch up with Anne. Luckily, a lot of the venture folks are pretty darn close to where I am in San Fran here, and we talked about this concept of the self-driving enterprise. This is one of Anne's sort of functioning ideas about AI investing and sort of the future of software and technology in general. She really puts an interesting emphasis and frames an interesting dynamic around human-machine interaction, and this is applicable across industries. So for any given application, whether it's security, whether it's customer service, whether it's marketing in some way, shape or form, how are the constant workflows and interactions and actions and decisions of the people using the software building and bolstering the automatable and predictive capabilities of that software. and paints some interesting pictures of this happening with companies today and how she thinks it might happen in the future. But I think it's an interesting dynamic to contemplate no matter what industry you're in. More and more things will be automated. The way that Anne frames what possibly could be taken out of the human purview and done better, faster, cheaper with machines is pretty powerful. So I certainly enjoyed the conversation. It was great being able to catch up with Anne in person I've seen a number of her talks in the past so it was really fun to catch up and I hope you guys will get a lot out of this interview this is Anne with Floodgate and again if you're on the site go to insights and then insights from investors and you'll get to see this episode as well as any uh, of our other recent investor interviews which have been phenomenally powerful for for me personally I get to talk to so many founders but man these investors that have invested in dozens of companies certainly have a wonderful perspective so enjoy this one folks and we'll catch you next time. So, Anne, first and foremost, I wanted to get into this concept of the self-driving enterprise. You're working pretty darn closely with Lyft now, but you talk about it as a concept that expands beyond autonomous vehicles, that self-driving could be a metaphor for kind of a dynamic of AI in industry. Talk through how you break that out as a concept.
1: Yeah, I think that the first time it really dawned upon me, I have a Tesla, and I got onto 280, and I engaged the autopilot, and it was sort of this well, my partner, Mike calls the WTF moment where you just say, Oh my goodness. (laughs) And the piece that was really interesting to me was that there's this autopilot where you're actually getting a lot of direct feedback from the actual car about what it's seeing, why it's making the decisions that it's making. And obviously you can override it. So there are parts of 280 where the lanes aren't clearly defined and the car starts to wander. And so you have to kind of be on point and grab the steering wheel at the right time. For me, I think what it points to is this concept of intelligence and the enterprise needs to become more intelligent over time. And the enterprise applications need to follow that. And today, the way I would describe most enterprise applications is that they're kind of glorified forms. You input data into the form and at some point, someone goes in, queries that data, and they get some sort of dashboard or maybe some combined form of that data with outside data, and they get this sort of report that's put out to them. But true intelligence, to me, really is about you know, four things. And this is something that one of my portfolio companies, Ayoste, often talks about. Intelligence is derived from discovery so you have to be able to find the information that's latent within this very complex data set. And in some cases, we call that unsupervised learning, right? Then you have to be able to learn and predict the future. You have to be able to not only understand what happened yesterday, but then apply that knowledge to predict This is what's happening within this data set. This is what's going to happen if we don't take action. That's table stakes. I think beyond that, what becomes really interesting is when a system is able to justify their own actions, particularly with machine intelligence. I think this is extraordinarily important, especially if an enterprise software is truly integrated into workflow. The person who's actually usually in charge of making these decisions needs to be given a superpower. It's not necessarily replacing their job. But in order for them to have that superpower, they need to understand why the machine is suggesting a different course of action than they're usually doing. So that justification piece is really important. We don't see that in most systems. In fact, when Google was talking about uh, their, their system that use deep learning to learn, go, they were saying, you know, it's doing all these things, but we don't even know why, right? You can't do that when you're providing a doctor with a decision system. He or she needs to know why the system is suggesting a different course of action. It's absolute table stakes for an intelligent system. And if, if you were to actually describe an intelligent being that's probably one of the things you would describe, right? It's not just a system that randomly creates interesting decisions. It's something that's able to describe why. And then the fourth is the ability to act upon it. And that to me is the integration into the workflow. And that's when I talk about self-driving enterprise. One of the most interesting pieces to me is that it used to be that the system of record was the goldmine. If you own that system of record, then you were the power player within the ecosystem. I believe that even though the system of record will remain important, what's going to become even more important is the ownership of the workflow. And so your ability to influence workflow within an organization as an enterprise application, I think will be the driving factor of why intelligent systems or these self-driving enterprise applications will become part to the future.
0: Now, that, that last piece is is pretty interesting. And the justifying actions, obviously, there's always brought up in the healthcare space, right? Because yeah. if, if you're, you know, again, serving ads or something, we may not exactly need to know. Or if you're trying to win it, go. I mean, right. you know, we don't really have to know either. But if you're going to Put somebody through one kind of chemo as opposed to another they're probably going to want to ask you why this last part about the system of record versus the ownership of the workflow talk about an industry example of what maybe the system of record would stand for or represent in a particular example and then where the workflow might gain prominence as ai becomes more important
1: we looked at as an example within the space of it administration right There's all these incredible dashboards that are out there spit out by New Relic or Splunk, which are telling you about the security of a system or the load, how an application is performing. And what it's essentially describing is the state of a system. And for the most part, how this operates is that you'll have alarms and bells go off if a particular metric hits a certain point what I believe is that all of these different data points actually describe a particular state. And for a person in DevOps space, as an example, they've seen that state before for the most part. And it might be that they see the state and there's some alarm bells going off, but they're ignoring that because they know that that's not really that important. That system of record is still very important because you have all this data cached within it that tells you what you've seen before. But actually what's more important is what do you do in relation to what you see on that dashboard, right? And so it might be that you just need to run a couple scripts and you're actually headed back in the right direction. It might be that you need to reboot some machines, right? But the DevOps person in general actually looks at that dashboard and is like, I've seen this before, I know what's going on, I'm going to go fix it. But that's usually a fairly repetitive process, What they should be spending their time on is, this is state I've never seen before. What exactly is happening here? Understand the root cause of it, fix that root cause, and then document it. If you see this state, this is what needs to happen next. And it could be that the system is fully automated to always respond to states that's been seen before. So if I've seen this state, the system goes in and says, I know I'm supposed to run these scripts, I'm gonna go do that, I'm gonna reboot these machines. And the only time you as a DevOps person is it ever alerted is when it's a state you've never seen before. And so you spend all of your time working on those things that are most critical, that only can leverage your creativity, your knowledge of the space, and isn't just leveraging you to do the things you already knew you had to do.
0: It doesn't turn into kind of the equivalent of monkey work, kind of learningless activity where it's like, well, I do this when this happens. I'm going to go do it. Right. I'm going to justify my salary by sort of walking over here and pushing these buttons. Um, And that's
1: the ownership of workflow. So it's sort of, I know when you want to be alerted, maybe you want to be alerted every time and I'll do that, but maybe it's that you only want to be alerted in certain cases, in certain types of states or only in states you've never seen before.
0: Got it. And fraud, I think is the place where I've probably heard this the most we've interviewed so many fraud companies, that this notion that, okay, if we can firmly succinctly document all the myriad factors, including the weird outlier stuff that seems to correlate to condition X, then we'll have a way of handling condition X and we can train a system to do that and then we'll, we'll handle whatever the other variations are where maybe we can either have system X automatically handled or we can simply get a message that doesn't tell us to do the work. It just says, hey, I'm basically certain this is system X. If you want me to do the system X thing, I'll do it. Yes, machine. And you just click the yes button. So you either get like a, threshold, little, right. so I'm going to do the work for you, or you just let it go. Or like you said, you have it brought to the humans who have the contextual perspective of like the business and like the water cooler conversations. And right. the Right. It's
1: Christmas. So of course these numbers are yeah, going to look exactly. back, right? Yep. 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 And yep. so I think, I think that that piece is really important to be able to say, how does this human being actually want to have the system interact with them? That's workflow.
0: Mm, okay. 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 How
1: do these decisions need to be made? Who do they go through? What is the threshold at which we start to understand when something is truly in the state or not? And again, I believe that these inputs will not be just pure form based where it's everything is deterministic. Things will become more probabilistic as a result. You'll say, I think you're in the state. It's like 95% yeah, certainty, yeah, 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 yeah. or maybe it's like 60% certainty, right? What does that actually mean? Being very statistically literate will become even more important.
0: Okay. I'm interested to dive a little bit deeper into that as an idea. I've seen a vague correlate of this in, let's say like customer service, where we have certain kinds of ticket types that we respond to in a certain way. I'm almost positive that this customer wants a replacement for this product but I'm only you know 74% sure that that's the case human. Can you tell me if I should send out this one or do you human need to create a slightly different variant for this weird way that this person's asking this question? So degrees of certainty that the machine can statistically kind of gauge above 95, just send them a ticket you know, automatically right away. Is that to some degree what you're talking about where systems of the future will be able to calibrate what they're going to do based on probabilistic sort of likelihood that this is the right path and maybe kick it off during thresholds, but maybe dial back and talk to people at lower thresholds when it's kind of confused, not to anthropomorphize too much. But yeah,
1: I mean, there's, there's that kind of example, I would say even in finance, right? So I have my Oracle financials, which, you know, you can spend millions of dollars keeping up, but fundamentally it's deterministic, right? You put in your finances and it spits out your finances.
0: It's a form, right? Like uh, it's a form. It.
1: On one hand, that's great, but then my question would be, well, why is it that it doesn't just auto-generate everything for me? So, if it, it should auto-generate my growth path for the next year, it should auto-generate my operating plan for 2018 and beyond. And I, as the CFO, should be coming in and putting in fundamental assumptions about my business and adjusting all of the intelligent things that this system does for me. It should be taking in market data and telling me where the uncertainties are within my supply chain. It should be able to say, hey, like if there is a labor strike in South Africa, that's going to impact my supply chain upstream because of reasons X, Y, and Z. These systems are not that sophisticated.
0: Not at all. I
1: right? And... My belief is that the data actually already exists out there in terms of how all of this information ought to be tied together. So when I talk about probabilistic inputs, it's not just around things that we're never certain about. I'm never really certain about your state of mind or like whether you're happy or sad. And obviously machine intelligence can help with those things. But there's also things about the future that we should be able to predict And we should know that there's some sort of newsworthy event that then is going to have trickle-down effects upon my business.
0: We interviewed a company called Signal in the UK recently that's doing this kind of market intelligence stuff for press management and monitoring competitors and hedge funds who want to understand the economic conditions of Singapore and how those would influence their investments in some way, shape, or form. It seems as though in order to get to maybe where you're envisioning, we would have to have a lot of systems integrated vastly beyond the form level that they are now, but integrated with other kinds of systems. I mean, ideally, maybe in, in this future you're referring to, our financial systems, our advanced QuickBooks equivalents, would be able to create these projections based on data other than our real time credit card info that we're we'll popping in there. But they would be looking at our CRM and they would understand that a certain number of leads through these systems usually is going to result in XYZ in sales, especially if it comes from these lead sources. Now we're getting into like, whoa, like unless one company is building all of this, is it possible for the kludge to result in intelligent result? Do do you think that the industry will find more ways to plug and spider these systems together to gain the kind of insight you're talking about?
1: I think so. As we look at on the infrastructure side, more and more people are becoming excited about microservices. I think that will actually drive much more integration between a lot of these different systems. So instead of creating these monolithic environments, one of my partners, Arjun Chopra, has been working a lot on what he calls the resilient enterprise. A lot of that is based upon this notion that instead of creating a monolith, you're actually breaking these services apart into smaller and smaller pieces, microservices, And the beauty of that actually is that we think about an agile environment, but you want your code to be agile in certain areas, but not in others, right? Like if you're going to be PCI compliant, you don't want some code slinger to come in and jack with your shopping cart and credit card data. You want them to leave that piece alone. You want them to be able to play a lot with the front end microservices, I believe, will be the answer to that and will enable us to actually share data much more seamlessly in the future. And that's going to take a little while for that to really happen. And the comfort level of companies and government and all sorts of different entities to actually share that data is still not there. And I think there's a lot of theories being posited as to how you develop that comfort level. How do you create searchability and ability to do analysis behind some sort of wall. And I think that that technology should be coming, but obviously it's not here today. As we think about near-term investments, we're looking at areas where you can actually control that data. So obviously finance is much more complex. ERP systems will be even more complex as they become more intelligent. Areas like IT systems, there is much more consolidation there. There is the fear then of do you develop a system on top of other people's systems of record or do you have to own that system of record? And that's more of an investor debate of do you have to own that data or do you have to sit on top of lots of other disparate data sources to become a valuable
0: uh, there's probably going to be winners in both, but maybe the debate of the investors that you're referring to is sort of where will the market generally sway? Where will most of the big winners be found? Which of right. those dynamics will they play into? Right.
1: When you look at the Facebooks and Googles of the world, they're the ones who own the data yeah. and then they also have the talent. And so a lot of people have concluded that you have to own the data and have the talent. I believe that there will be spaces where you can develop a wedge and actually drive some of this vision around the self-driving enterprise.
0: When you mentioned microservices, just as a quick sidebar, business audience is definitely going to want to sort of do some digging around some of the ideas we talked about. Anywhere, you know, whether it's a company resource of some kind where learning about this concept of microservices you found to be helpful or handy. I mean, anybody can Google it, but I imagine people want to get I mean, kind of I think
1: Amazon's yeah. been really pushing it. And actually, Microsoft has been a real big player here as well. So the concept of functions is clearly within that microservices arena. I think it's also very tightly tied to containerization. And some of the folks that are, are around Docker will also have a lot of knowledge around microservices.
0: Cool, those might be some good channels for people to run through. I know we're right about on time, and thanks so much for the interview today. Thank you. Well, that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes. Or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.